saw some of your work yesterday, which was really cool. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Meredith. I'm from Sundance. How many of you are Sundance Film Festival in the room? So I'm just going to, I'm basically eating up time because Asif is in the loo. Garth went to get coffee. Nick's going to come join me, eat up time with me. Um, quickly, this program is all about connecting this next generation of emerging talent, all of you, with um, films and filmmakers and having conversation and being able to really ask questions about not only the subject of the film and the themes, but the process of getting the film made. So today we're really excited that not only, um, this is Asif. Um, Asif Kapadia is the filmmaker, the director of Amy. Um, he has worked with Sundance on and off for a few years. He's had a few films premiere at Sundance. His film just recently um, in our festival last year in 2016, we had the premiere of Ali and Mino. What was the premiere, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is a feature film, beautifully, beautifully made, and hopefully you guys will get to see that soon. He was there in 2011 with a film called Senna, which is a documentary. Have any of you heard of Senna? Cool. Um, and we did not screen Amy, but... Um, it wasn't ready in time. It wasn't ready in time, yeah. Um, but because he's part of our Sundance family, um, Sundance Film Forward was able to travel with the film, so we were really excited about that. Um, Nick here is the manager, the first manager of Amy, and um, he's here to answer questions as well, so I'm really just going to turn it over to all of you, and we'll get started. Yeah, hi. I just had a quick question about um, basically how you went about structuring a story like this. So um, obviously it's quite a, a long story over the span of her life. So was it that you basically had a story in mind and then tried to get archive footage and everything to support that? Or did you just collate as much as possible and then try to build a story out of what you had? Um, that's it if you want. Yeah. Oh, we got mine. Yeah. I don't know if it works. But. Hello? Yeah. I talk like this, but I just heard it. <laughs> um, <laughs> The, the, the structure of it, it's interesting because um, so the film Amy kind of came along, somebody contacted me and said, would you be interested in making a film about Amy? And, um, and a few of you have seen Senna, so the interesting thing about both Senna and Amy is that the one thing that most people knew was the ending. People knew that Amy died young. They knew that she was a singer and they knew she had a problem and sort of an, an issue with addiction, but she died young and um, the interesting thing became, and Senna was the same thing. If you know anything about Edson Senna, a motor racing driver, he's a racing driver, and he died, didn't he, in an accident. And so the, the, the films became about the journey of how they lived and what happened and why did they die. And that, that became the structure. The structure was one of the key things that happened along the way in their life. And it's interesting, when you're doing a drama, the big thing often is the film was good, the acting was good, but, you know, the ending was weak. It was kind of interesting making these documentaries where the one thing that's a given is the ending. Most people know that going in, and it all becomes about what are the key points in their life? What were the key episodes? What were the key... In Amy's life, it became the songs. How do you... What, which songs are the most important ones? What I found quite early on is that each song was very personal and based on real people or real experiences. Each song was like a kind of a diary or very, very... Kind of an intimate record of something that happened in her life, 
So the film became about structuring these songs and having the narrative that somehow weaved them together. Um, and so that became the job. The job became... Is that better? Working now? Well, I think, yeah, sorry. Okay. I think we can use that. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Is that how most of the equipment works? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Been there. Nice building, though. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, that, that was it, really. And then I generally go into a film not knowing that much about the subject. So it all comes out of research. It all comes out of talking to people. I don't read loads of books, maybe because I'm lazy, but partly because it's not an adaptation of a book. It's about talking to people, interviewing people, finding out what people have to say, and then looking at the material and the visuals and finding a way to visualize the story. And that's how I work. I, I basically start by having an edit suite and getting lots of material and just going through it bit by bit by bit and trying to, mo trying to see the story through the images. Um, Amy was the only film that I have made, and I've made quite a few features, quite a few short films over the years, but there's never a document. There's no storyline. There's no treatment. It all became um, a process where I said, I know we have the music, we have the publishing, we have her story. I'm going to talk to people, and the film will be entirely constructed out of whatever research comes out of what people say. And so the interviews became pivotal, and I, and I interviewed over 100 120 people. Nick was one of the key people I spoke to. Um, and it was really a question of taking all of these different um, interviews that I did and cross-referencing everything that was said to try to find the, some essence of truth, whatever that might be, and using the visuals to show the story. Thank you for me. Thank you. So that, that was it, really. That, that's kind of how it worked. Can I just check one thing? What, what are you guys, are you students in what courses? Film. Digital film. Film? Post as well. Actually, one of our, um, he's, he couldn't make it, Raphael is one of our assistant editors on the film. Studied here, actually. He's so, studied uh, post Yeah, he did. He was a study a student at Rainsford. And if he wasn't working so hard on the next film, he would have been here. Uh, but he wasn't allowed to bunk off like I could. So, so what uh, was he doing? Pardon me? What was he doing on the He's our assistant editor on the new film. I'm doing a film about Maradona right now. So he's um, loading material and stuff. He worked on our Amy as one of our assistant editors. So, go ahead. Oh, um, um, could you describe sort of um, how you thought about ethics during this production of this documentary, being that it was about such a sensitive topic, and also like there was some controversy after it came out with Mitch. So how you also deal with a subject that turns around after the films come out and is like, I don't like the way I was portrayed. So the ethics of a subject, really interesting question, very difficult. I think there's a huge difference. I've made fiction films, and they can be based on real people, but you know everyone's pretending, let's be honest. They're all pretending. They're actors pretending, the costumes, it's not real blood. You know. And then you deal with documentaries, and with both films, real people died. Real families, real kind of loved ones, real emotions, real guilt. Um, was someone to blame? Was someone culpable? Was someone complicit? I think that, that's the real, for me, the big difference with doing the, these sorts of documentaries and fiction films is having that extra pressure and weight. Also, the fact that there are all these fans out there who kind of know the story and who somehow, a lot of people at the beginning of Amy, it's really interesting, Senna and Amy, were, these two films are okay, but with very different kind of energies. Senna, Senna's an incredible positive energy. He just had his vibe about him. He was like, go get her. He was like, I don't quit, I don't give up. And people just love this guy. When we said we were gonna make that film, the number of people who got in touch around the world who just said, how can I help? I love him so much, he changed my life. How can I help? I'll be totally honest, 
Nick's sitting here, right? He will he will say his side of it. With Amy, it's the absolute opposite. When we said we were going to make a film about Amy, I got quite a bit of abuse. Ah, oh, you go, another one is going to take advantage of her. Oh, you know, what do you know? You weren't there. Um, and actually, a lot of the energy was actually quite negative. No one wanted to be a part of the film. No one wanted to talk. Everyone was accusing one another of... And that energy was basically around her. So when you go into a film, you're, you know you're taking that on. And you know there are people that don't like each other. Before I started talking to her, I could sense that. There were some people that were quite prominent, like her father, who seemed to be in the news a lot. Her ex-husband, who was in the newspapers a lot, you know, Blake. There were loads of people that I was aware of who had a kind of a, a negative energy almost around them, who were accusing other people. And that, that's just a nature of the subject, I think. You get into a film, you know you're going to get into that world. And to get to the root of the story, you're going to have to deal with all of these people from different sides and different perspectives. And all you can do is try and be honest and tell the story and make a film that, having done a hell of a lot of research and homework, I can back up every single thing in that film and every single thing in the centre. So even if they're hardcore fans coming at me and attacking me, I know more than them, right? I wouldn't know more than what goes outside of that film, and I wasn't there, but the idea is to do enough research that you can back up everything. So even if you get criticised, I know what we did is honest, and I know that there's only one person who basically came out in the press about the film, and that was about themselves. Everyone else, privately, publicly, has said the film's truthful and honest, and the most important thing is it shows Amy in the best way. So that's what they cared about. Thank you. Anyone else? Um, you said it, it was hard um, to get people involved. Um, kind, of, kind of going into interviews and stuff like that, did you have to change your mentality going in there or technique? I'm going to let Nick start off, because he's one of the key people. A lot of people said to me, if you're going to make a film about Amy, you're going to have to talk to this guy, Nick Shemansky, and I'll be honest, I never heard of him at that point. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who the what the story was. So I contacted Nick a couple of times, and um, at the beginning, he, like everyone else, said, I don't want, to be, don't want to be a part of this film, really don't want to do it. But I'll let him answer from his point of view, and then I can come back if need be. Yeah, um, from my point of view, I, I, you know, it was a horrible, long spiral to see someone that you really care about fall apart. And um, the worst thing was after Amy died, people came out like vultures, every newspaper, magazine, Rolling Stone, book writers, just calling. And people don't have a very nice style. They like they want something. And they, they think it's like, hi, how are you? How much do you want? They think, they think that's the way to get people. Very often it is, I think. Um, and for me, I just didn't want to talk about it. It was very... I was hadn't processed it, it was a very crappy time for a while. Um, and you know, I just I just kind of got on with stuff and just had my own personal grievance. And um, and then I heard this film was being made. No one had sort of consulted me or asked me or I just heard I was quite negative about it because I thought oh, I was just another thing going on around Amy where people are just going to get it wrong. It's everything, from my point of view, everything just felt so sensationalist and not very deep on any level, you know. All the, all the final say, all the conclusion had come from tabloids, newspapers, really shit, Channel 5, you know, entertainment channel kind of documentaries, and which I wanted nothing to do with any of them. And then, um, and then I heard about it from them, and then, you know, the next thing I heard, 
that Acid was on board, which was a weird moment because I was like, I really like Acid for his film. You know, I'd seen Senna, I knew about him as a filmmaker, and I thought that that was a really soulful way of going into someone else's very tragic personal story, someone that's in the limelight. And, um, but I decided I still thought I can't do this it's too soon and then eventually I got a it call. was only a year after Amy had yeah. died that's the key thing this project started only a year maybe even less for you when you heard about yeah, it yeah well it, it was very raw it, was, it, yeah, it, was, it felt like it only just happened and it felt I could not see any reason why this had to be made now and then I got a call from Asif and um, and I could tell you know that Asif really didn't have much of an idea and was open to the fact he didn't have an idea but I think even journalists when they call you and try and they, I know I know what really happened you know Asif was really cool just like I'm doing this I think there's something in it that hasn't been explored and my I, I felt I could be quite honest early to Asif I said look I'm re I don't know why you're doing it so early um, I'm not into the idea of it I don't think this is for me and Asif was like you know the reason I'm doing it now is because I think that there's a story in here, there's, there's a tone of a lot of people sort of need, need to explore a lot of different avenues. And there could be a social aspect to what happened to Amy that if you do, in fact, I don't think you said this at this point. I don't know if I need no, that, yeah. No, 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 that's not true. You didn't say it at this point. That was something that came later on. Right at the beginning, there was an, there was a, there was an open camera. It was awkward. From my point of view, I felt when I got the call saying, from my producer, the guy who produced Senna called me up. And I can remember where I was, I was walking down the street, I was in North London, I was very close to Camden, I lived in that area. And James calls up and says, oh, what do you think? Amy Winehouse, interested in making a film about her. Now after Senna, I got offered so many sports films. Everyone and anyone got in touch and said, would you make a film about me? Would you make a film about me? And I was like, I don't want to do another sports film. I don't want to do the same thing. And then Amy's name came up and I remember thinking, isn't it too soon? I, that was my first reaction. It's too soon, isn't it? But then I went away and, had, and I said, look, but if you can get the music and the publishing, then we can talk about it. But if you don't have the music and the publishing on, first of all, before we start, there's never a movie. So if you can sort that out, then let me know. In the meantime, I then go off and I just start thinking and talking to people and doing a bit of research. And one of the key people in my life, my wife, you know, I end up talking about everything at home with my wife. And my wife really, more than anyone, said, you have to do it. You have to tell a story about Amy. She is such an important person. And, and I went away and okay, that's interesting. And I talked to a couple of other friends and then there was just something about this, for me, North London aspects that made me think, I want to tell the story about this girl that's from down the road who became huge, but somehow very publicly fell from, from the kind of pedestal and, and everyone knew it was all going wrong, but no one stopped it. That was as much as I had. And then I started talking to people and back to Nick. Yeah, no, so, so, so anyway, so I didn't want to do it. And then I was actually quite cool about that, which... You know, it was the right way to be. And he said, look, do you mind if I call you just to, if, if there's a name or a photo or a bit of footage where no one knows who it is or where, where it was, can I get your take? Because you were around a lot in the early days. So I said, okay, I'll do that, I can do that. And then we met up a few times with Asif saying, I've met this person, what's your, you know, who were they, what period, what was going on around this time? And then, um, and then I found myself just drawn to Asif as a person and trusting what he was saying and he said you know Nick you're sort of starting to talk about this you know I don't want to be pushy but and I, I felt like wow 
you know, with your friends and family, especially when they know you're going through something, they don't really want to ask questions. So I, in a weird way, I wanted to be asked these questions I hadn't realised. And so the next thing we ended up eventually in a, and this is the answer to answer your question, we ended up in a... I did introduce, I brought Nick to the edit suite. So we have, um, we have a, a room where we all work. So there's our archive team in one room, <coughs> four or five people, and then there's kind of an avid in another room. So one of the things I did do is I... I because people, when you get a call, if you're not in the film business and you get a call that someone's making a film about Amy Winehouse, people might think there's you know, some big American mogul with a cigar in a studio that's going to make film. And so oh. certain people will come back saying, well, I want a million dollars for my footage. No, it's not really going to happen like that. You, you, I think you've overestimated where we're coming from. We did make this other film that was a bit of a hit, Senna, but we're a small kind of doc. So I actually, a lot of the interviews, the first time I met people, I think it may even be the first meeting... One That's of those right. was he came to the edit suite and just saw this is it, right? It's kind of basic. We're not, we're not Disney, we're not Universal Studios. Even though it looked like we were being financed by Universal, we were not making one of those films. But what, but what, what I got actually coming to the to the edit suite, um, there was, there were these. On one level, it was really shocking, but on another level, it was quite comforting. There was literally like post-it notes around the room. It was a bit like a crime scene. <laughs> And there was literally every single year of Amy's life and every month and who was around. And it was like the weirdest thing to see. But at the same time, it was so thorough. And it was like something I, I, I found myself wanting to look to kind of understand a few things myself. And I remember coming back to my wife that night and saying, it was like, it feels like, you know, there was never an investigation. There was never a detective knocking on the door. There was never any depth to what happened to Amy. And all of a sudden it felt like this was something that I felt I wanted to get some answers. I wanted to hear what someone with the, put some time and effort in thought of everything. And, and, and That's really interesting. You just, Nick's just said something. When Senna died, in, in, in Italy, he died in an accident in Italy. There is no such thing as accidental death. There was actually a court case that went on for four years afterwards to figure out why did he die? Why was there an accident? What happened to the car? Why was there a brick wall there? When Amy died, well, you know, it's what happens in rock and roll. People die. Fair enough. Moving on. And uh, no one did anything. No one questioned it. No one got asked tough questions. Nothing in the industry changed. And nobody talked to people to say, well, what's going on? How is this happening in front of our eyes that a young kid can die at 27? And really interesting there was no investigation and that's it, what we ended up doing the one thing you do get which is horrible you get when someone dies you get the report the coroner's report which is not an invest it's the fact this is what they died of on that day but it doesn't take into account the years of what's been happening before and like you know you could you could literally be going through something awful and then last minute a bus hits you and that's what's on the coroner's report it doesn't go into like the other details so it was it was completely unresolved in terms of someone going into it so one thing led to another and then eventually there was sort of a relationship forming and I started to just believe in what Asif was doing and feel like I can see why he's doing this and and um, and there's probably this I will only ever do something once if I'm ever going to do this and can't see there being someone of a better calibre, the way it was being handled, the open canvas. And then we ended up in a in, in, in a recording booth and um, it was planned to be twenty minutes, half an hour and you know, first time went in, I think we came out eight hours. I can't maybe I'm exactly five, hour, five, six yeah. hours later. 
Wow. And um, no cameras, just I, audio. That's that was that way, was interesting. That's the key I, way that I like to work. So I go somewhere safe because there was a lot of paranoia from everyone I spoke to. Very little trust. So what I didn't want to do is meet in a cafe somewhere in Soho where literally everywhere I went, people around town are involved in the story or in the story. Everyone in the music business, everyone that's somehow an agent or somehow ran a club once or was in whatever. Everyone, I bump into them all the time and they're all somehow are linked to Amy. Amy somehow, in a very short space of time, touched everyone. And go anywhere in the world and they go, yeah, yeah, Amy was in here once. I'm like, How? How did she get here? You know, she came through, she was doing this show and so and so and everyone knows everyone so for me it's really important to create a safe space and so I like to go into a recording booth I have this place in Soho Square that I use and it's basically just the two of us in a room there's a microphone on the table the mixer's in another room no cameras because I don't like being filmed on camera most people don't feel natural and comfortable on camera also I don't, it's not about what they're looking like at that moment for me it's about Amy it's always about Amy so the idea is she'll be on she'll be on film the person talking is just research and I'm trying to gather all the information and by doing that you don't have lights you don't have a crew you don't have in the middle of something important oh we ran out of tape or we ran out of stock or can I just tweak this or you know we slightly went soft I don't care about any of that stuff it's purely about getting that kind of truth and emotion across um, and one of the things that's starting happening I can't remember if we did it on our first one or not but I, the lighting, I remember thinking the lighting was really bad, quite harsh, and so basically we used to turn the lights down. So it'd be just the two of us with a microphone, pretty much sitting in the dark, just talking. And people could say whatever they wanted to say, they didn't feel comfortable, don't talk about it. And if you do want to talk about something because it's important, but you don't want to say it on the record, just tell me it's off the record. And that's basically how we worked. And the whole thing is about trust. I'm not here trying to take advantage of him or take advantage of anyone else and, and you should only do it if you're comfortable doing it but everyone I spoke to one by one all of them felt like they had to tell their story and there was there was a truth about Amy that had not come out and they were carrying that load on their shoulders and every interview got very emotional there was a lot of tears it got really heavy but at the end of the interviews everyone looked a little bit better because it had become like therapy and, and pretty much everyone Nick came back again and would recommend that you should talk to this person this person and that's kind of when the word spread that it felt like you should talk to him and you should be a part of the film because initially I got told by a bunch of people I don't know if that was your group or another group of friends were like there was this vow saying whatever happens if anyone ever makes a film or does a show we all agree we're never going to be a part of it and that's kind of I didn't know this but I walked into this basically essentially a sort of vow of silence therefore the only people who do speak and sell their stories were the people who no one trusted. And they were the same voices that you kept seeing in these dodgy Channel 5. <laughs> I hope none of you were for Channel uh, <laughs> You know, there's, you see the renter maps. People turn up in these shows and they've always been interviewed. The same people being interviewed. And, and you realise they were never there. They had nothing to do with the story. But, you know, they, they did drugs with them once and they basically end up being interviewed as a kind of authority. So. Yeah. Um, it seems like you, you, you clearly uh, do your research and you try to understand nuances of each film that you work on. Um, I'm interested in, correct me if I'm wrong, um, with Senna it was Manish Patney that brought you uh, the idea of making a documentary with Senna, is that right? On, on Senna it was the producer who had the idea, James, oh, to do the film. Oh, right, okay. And so then Manish was the, the expert. Manish was the writer, he was the guy who um, 
<coughs> was the absolute nutty Senna fan and Formula One fan. So it was great because there was someone who knew everything. Because I don't know that much. I watch the racing. I'm into sport. But it was really good to have someone who knows it inside out. So I could just say, what are the 10 most important races? And he'll go this. And he was like one of those people who's just so, he photographic memories. So it was really good working with him. On this, there wasn't an expert. Yeah. But it wasn't an expert that I particularly trusted. Sure. That. There were lots of people who claimed to be experts and written books and become well known. But I was like, I'm not sure. And in the end, that's when you have to become the expert. What about some of your other work? Like, for example, I think it was a couple of years ago, you worked some work with The Guardian, with uh, Yasin Bey and Mostef. Um, how did you get involved in projects like that? So that was, I did this film for The Guardian um, about force feeding that goes on in Guantanamo. Oh, yes. And um, that, it was a short thing and it was by, I got contacted by someone and it was for this human rights charity called Reprieve. Um, and the guy who runs Reprieve is this amazing lawyer called Clive Stafford Smith. There was a documentary called 13 Days in May about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, which, which I remember seeing and being blown away about a black guy on death row in America who's so obviously innocent, but who was killed. And, and he was the English guy, was the lawyer trying to defend him and trying to get him out. And he basically has made his name doing that and defending people in Guantanamo, defending people who've been tortured. Um, so I'm just, he's a hero. So when I heard he, he was asking me to do something, I, 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 they contacted me, they'd seen something I'd done. And um, it's kind of an interesting film, that was a very different film. It's on YouTube, it's, if you look it up, it's Most Deaf, there's a rapper called Most Deaf, Yasin Bey, um, and it's, if you write Most Deaf Guantanamo in, in Google, it pops up, it's about seven minutes long. Um, the interesting thing is, so the idea was to kind of, a lot of people in Guantanamo were fasting, and um, what happened was the Americans didn't want them to die, so they were force feeding them to keep them alive. They weren't gonna free them, they hadn't been charged, they weren't guilty of anything, but they were being kept alive under Obama's watch. Um, they were being kept alive, so they don't say, the stats don't show people died there. It's probably could well be happening right now. So, so the idea was they were gonna get someone to do this act. So most devs said, I'll do it, because a lot of rappers were offered a chance to do it. They all said to do it, and at the last minute they sort of chickened out, and no, I can't do it. So, so Yassine Bey, most deaf, said, I'll do it. I met with him once. It was about five hours late for the first meeting. Could be tricky, but that's musicians for you. He did do it. He turned up. We did a rehearsal. And let this be a lesson for all of us, okay? So I had three cameras. I only just met the camera people on the day. Um, I said, just get three cameras. Let's shoot the rehearsal. I always shoot my rehearsals, just in case. So we did a little run-through. And essentially, the run-through got a bit out of control. We did the act, because he didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was going to happen. It got kind of out of control. He lost it totally and started yelling my name out. And that's when I thought, okay, he's not acting. This is actually real. He basically sent acid, I can't do it. Cut, 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 cut. So we cut. And he couldn't do it again. So we didn't actually get a take. We did one rehearsal with three cameras and the film is basically the rehearsal. And so it was one take, one shot. It was over in like, we had two hours to do the whole thing from beginning to end. Um, it was done in one morning somewhere in East London and it went out on the Guardian website and it went viral. It was this amazing thing that kind of went picked up by every news agency because at the time, very few people in America, even knew Guantanamo, was still open. It's just never talked about in the media over there. Um, so it was, it was something else that came along which is very different, kind of doc, but he's an actor, but he's a musician, and it was somewhere in the middle, and I'm kind of interested in that space, somewhere in the middle of drama and docs. Um, and in the middle of doing long films, I always try to do short films and do something just to keep 
things fresher. Yeah. So did, you, did you say that you only met the Russian crew? I think it was only five. Uh, just meet them on the day, or did you not? Pretty much, them? yeah. So they were just there, and <coughs> they kind of—that's what they do. They set it up. I just turn up, go. This is what we're going to shoot, and then we just went off and we shot it. And sometimes it's like almost like doing a commercial or something, a music video. You don't you don't have weeks to prep. Sometimes you just turn up on a day. You have to turn up with a film, and, that, and that's how that worked. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I see I'm really ill, so I'll try and make sure I'm as coherent as possible. But, um, what was that? No, no, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, you've talked a lot about the comparisons between Seda and I was a big Seda fan, you know, I really enjoyed the fact that we did a real good justice to the sport around the F1 fan as well. And um, uh, the thing is, the thing that interests me was um, after after Seda and also after Amy came out, someone who was in the film came out and complained that the film made them look bad. In Seda it was Alan Prost who said, he said basically he hadn't even seen the film, but he knew enough that, oh, it makes me look like a bad guy because it takes Seda's side and almost everything. And then when Amy came out, it was obviously Amy's dad who said that. Yeah. You know, that's a good Yeah. You know, uh, do you know what? It's really interesting. So when I, because there's this thing, this idea, when, when if you do a documentary for the BBC or someone, or the IT, or ITV, or and a national broadcasters, there's always this idea of, well, you need to get the other point of view because, you know, we have to show that we're being even. Screw that, in my opinion. If I make a film, I'm making a film from a point of view. I have a point of view. The clue is in the title. Senna is a film about Senna, taken from his point of view. His greatest rival was Alan Prost. If I make a film which says Alan Prost is great, then I feel like Senna didn't feel that at the time. When he was racing, they were, they were at it. They crashed into each other. They hated each other's guts. So my aim when you make a film is to make you feel what he felt at that time. Yeah, they yeah, may have made it up. They have, may have become friendly later on. But in the point when they're at their peak as racing drivers, they were not mates. That's where Manish came kind of handy, right? So that was the intention. So you should always have an intention when you're making a film. So he wasn't happy with it. Actually, we show that they made up. There are scenes in the film. Most people think it is fair, but if other people want to do the Prost film, then someone can go off and do the Prost film. But the intention was to make a film very, very much hardcore from Senna's point of view. With Amy, it's the same thing. The film's about her. The idea was to show what happened to her. She's the one who had a talent. She was a musician. She's the one who lived her life. She wrote the songs. She's the one who got married to whoever she got married to. She's the one who died. And, and the idea that it's about someone else and they feel like, well, I should be in it more because it's about me. Actually, I'm not interested in that. They've written their own books. They're on TV all the time. So for me, the intention was always very clear. For once, this is about her. And, and he has an issue with the film, the dad, mainly because he's not in it enough. A lot of the time, it's like, well, I said more of this and there's not enough of this. And, but he actually doesn't, if you look at the detail of what he says, he cannot question what's in the film because of the way it's made, because it's all archived, because everyone said what they said, because she wrote in her songs what he said he said. Um, and Nick and everyone else who was there all back it up. Um, I just you kind of take the pinch of salt, the kind of criticisms, because I've done my research and done my homework. And I've had these conversations in private with all these people. Then they go off from whatever they want to say in public or to newspapers, whatever. I kind of stay out of that. Yeah, and you released those a longer version of Senna, wasn't there? That had a bit more trust in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's also, there's always a problem, which is like you're dealing with real lives and you've got two hours to tell a story. So you can't put everything in it. There was something you said in the last Q&A about the similarities between those two films in terms of a life lost too young. Um, and what you knew going into the project, and I thought that might be helpful to, to talk about with these guys in terms of when you start a project, what the basic assumption is. Yeah, I suppose, um, sorry, in terms of 
email, send a reply. It was to both. You were talking about how, like, you you knew with both those films, it was about a life that was somewhat iconic, that was lost, left, you know, like yeah. lost yeah. too soon, and you knew him from the media. It's trying to get to know the real people. I mean, I, the main thing is I knew the ending, you know, and it was about a journey and. What was interesting was the different energy around both of them. Senna had this incredible positivity about him, and Amy's life was quite heavy. And the films are actually an expression or a version of what I felt doing the research, that Senna just lived his life in a really positive way, and there was so much love from everyone around him. Everyone wanted to be a part of the film. And with Amy, there was, it was so heavy, and, and her life was, you know, she had issues of addiction, she had issues with depression, she had issues you know, internally with her setup or with her family or her loved ones or whatever. And I think the films Senna's a feel good film, even though he dies young. And Amy's quite heavy and she dies young. But I feel that they're kind of a portrait of how they lived, if that makes sense. And all of the energy that came out of talking to people. They're, they're Amy was really funny and had a really, really good time and Nick should talk more about that. But that was quite early before she became famous. And then after she got famous, it all went off suddenly very, very quickly in another direction. And I think that, that idea is quite heavy and depressing when you're making those films. Because everyone you're talking to, everything you're hearing and seeing, there's so much heavy footage of Amy that I've seen. Um, it becomes quite a challenge just to kind of take it all on. But then you've got to try to find a way to put that all into a package and be able to put it into a movie that people will be able to watch. I mean, it was a longer version of Senna, which was five hours long that we projected once and there was a longer version of Amy that was five hours long and the sad thing about Amy was you know the funny bit with, with Nick and the first album was a good hour and a half but there was like three hours of the descent and you know it was really kind of unbearable it's really some of it so tragic in the finished film it's probably 20 minutes but it still was quite heavy you really peel I think what made these films so successful because you could make a film about Amy and everyone would probably go see it because it's about Amy, but it wouldn't be successful. It, it might not be successful. And I think what Asif is able to do with this film is he really sort of peels that onion. And those outer layers are really what the press has given everybody. You really have this great ability to get to the core of the person and of the trajectory of their story and their life. That's what I mean. That's films. what takes so much time. I think that's the main thing. Senna was about five years to make, and Amy took about three years. And I think that idea of just, and that I think maybe that's also linked to what Nick was saying, where a lot of people probably contacting you was doing, were doing television or news, and they need something to be out tomorrow or the day after, and have this short deadline or you know a, a music magazine maybe a couple of months in advance. And for me, it's always about as long as I talk to the important people, I don't mind if it takes me a year or a year and a half to talk to me. I've got to have them in the film. They've got to be a part of it for it to be honest and for it to be genuine. And I know that I'm working on a film for years. And so if they're not in the mood, don't hassle them, don't force them, don't push them. Hopefully they'll understand you're coming from the right place. Anything else you want to say? Yeah. Oh, I'm just tagging along. I mean, if anyone's got any questions. Yeah. What makes what kind of draws you towards making about people, like rather than events or? What what makes me draw to make films about people? Um, I, I don't know. I I because I've made drama, fiction films. I've written and directed features. So part of the technique of of how Senna and Amy are made, for me, comes out of the experience of writing and directing fiction. 
and treating them almost like fiction films and having the sound and the music and the editing and all of that is as if I would do a drama. Um, uh, what's, what's interesting is it's, a, it's an instinct, it's a gut instinct. Both films were offered to me. Um, I didn't sit at home thinking, oh, I really want to make a film with Amy. It's actually, I got a call. Both, of, both films came from the same producer, James Gay Reese, who, who called me up saying, what do you think? Ayrton Senna, would you be interested? Probably not, but do you want to have a chat about it? And the honest truth on, on Senna is they had asked pretty much every director in town. Every documentary director had been offered the job. I bumped into people all the time and said, oh yeah, I was offered that. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, everyone turned it down or it didn't work out and eventually they came to me. And, um, and I had never made a doc before. But Manish actually had seen a, a film called The Warrior that I'd made, which had a kind of spiritual element. And I think they were interested in that side of Senna's character. So they thought, well, maybe he might be interested in telling the story because he, that spirituality is a really important part of his character. And it, and it became interesting just to do a character study and to spend like years just studying the body language and what people say and what they think. And once you get into it, it becomes quite obsessive, actually. That, that's what I quite liked about it. Um, Senna was, I, I just felt like I got really lucky. His story is amazing. You know, the things that he did and said and then all of the races that happened and all of the other characters like Alan Prost or the guy who ran the sport, Jean-Marie Balest. Like, every day I'd look at this material because all of this footage was online. It was on YouTube. So I would spend a lot of time doing research before I would even start the film. And I'd look at it and go, this is like the best set of rushes I've ever seen. It's all out there somewhere. I cannot believe no one's ever put it all together to make a film. Um, or maybe someone has, let me just check. And you realize no one's ever done this before. And you're thinking, there's a way of making this film where I don't think you need interviews. I don't think you need talking heads. There's an amazing middle, which is this big rivalry. There's this really powerful ending, which is this final weekend. I don't know where the story begins, but I, my gut was, it's all there. And, and that process became the reason why I wanted to make that film. Now, the interesting thing is sometimes you have problems on films, and it's, if you can turn that into a positive, for nine months, they were trying to do the deal on Senna with the family, with the estate, with the Formula One authorities and the, the Universal, who were the studio. For nine months, they were trying to do the paperwork and we were not actually, we didn't have the money in place. We weren't funded. So I couldn't hire an editor. So for nine months, I was turning down other work and I was just looking at the material on my own with an assistant editor and with the writer, Manish. And actually, that nine months became the period when the film was formed. That's when the whole idea of how the film's going to be made. So the fact that we couldn't hire an editor and couldn't go out and shoot interviews meant that we spent time looking at the footage and that's when I thought, it's all here. And having an instinct on how you're going to tell a story and keeping sort of that strongly to you. So the idea of just focusing on his point of view. When we go into the cars in Senna, or when we go into races, I decided very clearly I'll only ever be in the car with him. Because I want the audience to feel like you're him. I want the audience to feel like they're Brazilian. You know, and to really be siding with the Brazilians and not to be, you know, we're, most people on the film were Brits, so it's not about Nigel Mansell, it's not about this, not, you've got to feel like you're Brazilian when you're watching that film. So it's all about creating a point of view for that character and really staying strong to the central character, which is almost like if you're writing a screenplay, whose point of view are you writing this story from? It should be your central character. If you're spending too much time away from that person, you're basically losing the main person in the core of your story. <clears throat> and Amy was the same thing. I, I started spending time thinking about it, and then I just thought... And I always start off thinking, I don't think there's a film here. I, for a long time, wasn't sure if we had a movie with Amy. I just kept thinking, there's not enough material. It's all paparazzi. It's all people on the outside filming her. And a big turning point was getting to know Nick and seeing Nick's footage. 
and realizing actually we can be in the car with her, we can hang out with her, we can. She's really interesting about Nick's footage. Um, what was it shot on, Nick? What did you shoot your? I mean, the footage. Okay, I didn't. I knew I had footage. I, you know, this was before iPhones, before everyone had a camera on them. We were really excited. We were young. Back then, you know, when you signed a record deal or took some investment or something, everyone would go get a camera, film some extra footage. And so, and my whole life, I've always filmed. You know, my dad. My dad used to be one of those people who used to film weddings and bar mitzvahs and things. That was his job. So my whole life's documented. So I was one of the few people at that point in time in my circle of friends and Amy's circle of friends, you know, I'd have the camera, I'd be driving us on a tour, or we'd be going away to record, and I'd just take the camera. And while you're driving, I know. Yeah, and yeah, while I was driving. And, and so, <laughs> so it, was, it was one of those cam called Sony cam called DB tapes. And Amy would do a lot of the filming. There's a lot of footage of Amy filming me, me being stupid. Can you tell us the story of all the footage she shot? Oh yeah, well no, no, that was the that was the stills that no, yeah. So I, I had one of the first digital cameras. Makes this sound ancient, but um, before you were and we, we we went on the most amazing like three month trip to America, and I had like two thousand incredible pictures. And then I went, when I got back, I turned on my camera to show a friend of mine just before I was about to back it up. And there was a note, I still have the note of, of a photo, a photo of a note saying, Nikki, it was me, sorry, it was a mistake, love Amy. That had one picture on there. That, <laughs> and she was trying to look at the pictures on the plane and deleted them and um, freaked out, thought I'd go nuts. And so she just didn't tell me, she just took a picture. Uh, <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so, so, so the footage, I didn't know what I had. And, you know, I wasn't around when she was mega famous. I said I didn't want to be around. I said, I'm here if you need me. And so I had this footage, like I have my entire life. You never watch it. You don't convert it into different formats. It sits in your cupboard. And I, I just kind of remembered having some footage, but I'd never watched it. And then, um, and then when I, eventually when I, I went from sort of not wanting to do this to then. My wife tells a story which I've said to Asif a, a couple, and I've said at Q and A, which is my first thing was Alice. I'm t starting to talk to this guy, but I'm not going to give him. The I don't want to get involved. I'm not going to give him the footage. And then a couple of weeks later, she's like, "Where are you going? I'm going to meet that guy Asif again?" She's like, "Really? You only met him a few weeks ago." And then, like the third time, she saw me leaving with my tape. She was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" I was like, "Yeah, I know. Just got given." And, um, and so I gave this footage. So for me, like I thought, okay, you might find something sweet from the early days. And then when you show me the film, I'll see thirty seconds of some good times, and then they'll go into it. And then the first time I saw a cut of the film, I was knocked for six because I just I didn't know. You know, footage of you walking through an airport, going, driving around in a car, on a plane, doesn't mean anything until you can't do it anymore, or until life's moved on. And um, so I saw this, it was like seeing that moment in time come back, and then to see it cut into to what happened, and the heights Amy got to, but also the irony of like our dream happening, but happening and it being a nightmare and um, it was 
I'm going off subject here, but it was, yeah, it, it, I had no idea and I had no expectation. And I said to Ashley, I think that's why, it's, that's why the footage works. For me, it's because it wasn't shot for a purpose for it to be in a film. It's very personal, it's very private. I, I think it's a really interesting thing, right? Which is the one golden rule in fiction is don't look in the lens, don't look in the camera. You know, you're breaking that kind of rule, that third art, whatever it is. What I love about Nick's footage and what's really unusual, which is why it's different to people shooting on iPhones, is it's the old fashioned camera with an eyepiece. So he's holding it up here and Amy's talking to Nick, looking in the lens. So throughout the film, Amy looks straight at the camera, talks to the camera, sings to the camera, flirts with the camera, talks to her boyfriend, talks to her husband, talks to her friends, and, and we then become the papa. We are the audience, okay? So we're her mates, we're Nick, we're hanging out with her, we're flirting with her, we become the boyfriend, we become the journalist, we become the paparazzi, we're attacking her and chasing her. She attacks us, the camera. And I remember thinking, this is really interesting, there's something really powerful in the fact that this predates the iPhone. So the other problem with the iPhone is my iPhone's always full, always full of shit. So at randomly, I just delete loads of shit. And that footage, some of that stuff I delete, might be the great stuff in 10 years' time that I wish I'd kept. Hopefully, most of it's backed up, but you know, we, don't, we do get rid of things. I don't like the way we look, don't like the way I look. Don't like, you, know, you get rid of things in a way that you didn't when you shot at Mini TV, because you can't bloody look at it, because I've lost the charger. You know? I have tapes that I've shot that I have no idea where the bloody camera is or the charger, but the tapes still sit there. And who knows, one day there might be something interesting on it. And that's what I found with Nick's footage. It, it isn't the iPhone generation. It isn't people filming digitally. It's, it's this old fashioned way of looking for an eyepiece, putting it, because it's on a tape that big, you can't watch it, you can't delete it. And that's what's great about it. It's almost like Super 8. It's something that's so out of another time. Even though it's so recent, it's actually from an old, old time. And that's why the footage for me has truth and emotion in it, is because it wasn't shot for the purpose of a film. You know, it was just shot because you were hanging out and, and you walk around with a camera everywhere, you know. And I remember saying to Asif, oh, you know, I don't know if there's anything usable in here. I don't know if there's anything any good. Um, and, you know, so that was really amazing to see, to see that and see. And also, you know, I moved on. I, I'm looking back at myself as a kid, early in my career, someone I really cared about. There were no troubles. It was a great time that my, my part of the footage is a really happy, great set of memories. And, um, it's and the rawness of it that I like as well, because Amy's quite raw. So what's interesting is the film, the way a film is made, or however you decide to shoot a film, should, for me, be a part of the story. And Amy's great, for me, when you take away all the production. You know, her, her records are huge. They've sold millions, okay? Personally, and I've got them, but I wasn't a huge fan of Back to Black. <clears throat> when I listen to it now, to me, it's overproduced. I really love the footage where she just stands up with a guitar and sings. And just like, it's just her. And even that's on mini DV footage that's 15 years old. And it sounds amazing. And I cannot imagine what it would be like to be in the room hearing her live. And I wanted to get that feeling across that she didn't need all that production. She doesn't need all that stuff. She doesn't need backing singers and stuff, she could just do it. She could just turn up and do it. And whatever mood she was in, she could express it. And that's why she was an artist. That's why she was a jazz artist and not the pop star who's just banging out dance songs. And um, the footage for me is the really the best representation of that raw girl, because the footage is raw, you know. Um, and I think that's interesting as well, is the format 
only works if it serves a story and what you're trying to say, what you're trying to say particularly about your main character, your main person. It should always go back to them. Everything's about them, not about you know, other people. Um, and that's the focus, I think, as a filmmaker, to try to keep. What are you trying to say? Who are you making this for? Why are you making this? And, and a lot of the job is to have a process of elimination. I saw a lot of footage of Amy. Very early on, most of the footage, thousands of hours of really bad concepts. And really early on, I could just say to everyone, say, I'm not going to use them. I just don't want it. Once one bad concert is enough, and only to see 1,500 of them, all shot with 15 cameras, all long lens of her looking a mess, drinking, drinking, drinking. We'll only put that footage in if and when there's a particular key story point. But the stuff I love is that early stuff that no one's seen, where you're hanging out with her, and she's got this amazing energy. Her eyes look beautiful. Because that's the other thing, is when she's looking straight in the camera, you just see her face and her eyes. And her face became a theme. It's just like, I don't want talking heads in these films. I just want to look at her. She's the story. I just want to study her and understand what's going on in your head. Why is this going on? Why is that happening? And that's a lot of it. Sometimes you don't need to say a thing. You just need to look at her, and she tells you the story. That's, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, so I know you've talked about it a lot, but do you have any um, kind of hard and fast advice for um, interviewing people and talking to people um, that are in such a kind of sensitive situation, sensitive subject, and getting them to kind of trust you and to help out on a shoot and things like that? Um, just for someone that kind of wants to be in documentary myself. To, as in interviewing people? Yeah, yeah. The, the main thing I find is the first interview is a key one. And I really try, don't meet in the cafe for a chat. And they say all this great stuff. And you go, that's brilliant. Now let's go and record it. And go, why is it never as good? That first chat you've got to record. You've got to figure out how to get the very awkward beginning part is just as important. Um, so that just comes out of experience. And going somewhere, obviously if you're recording interviews you don't want to be anywhere noisy, so you've got to find somewhere really quiet with no music, no air conditioning it's putting yourself in a place and getting them to trust you to come somewhere neutral. I try not to do interviews in people's houses, I try not to do something where you're, you're kind of invading their personal space, if you can meet somewhere neutral not in my office, not in your house let's meet here, it's quiet, it's private it's safe, None, if nothing comes of it, fine, it may cost you a little bit if you have to go somewhere to rent a space or but that, I find that really works for me. You may want to put a camera there. You know, you might want a camera. For me, the audio is more important than a camera. So the, it's all about sound and the camera is secondary. Um, and then you don't, don't block yourself in. Don't say it's got to fit into one hour. Leave yourself a few hours. If it's going well, it just keeps going, keeps going. And let it feel quite organic. I have questions. I do my research. I never really refer to them. I might refer to the first two. And then you just like, listen. The big important thing is not to sit there studying your notes. And they talk about one really important thing, and you're going, yeah, and my next question on my list is nothing to do with that. I'm going to take you over here. And they're like, you weren't even listening. So a really important part of it is for it to feel like a dialogue where you listen, and whatever they say, you then hit off that. And you may never get to the bottom of your questions. It doesn't matter. That process of just talking, and, and it's not about you. It's not about your voice. A lot of documentary directors like to be the central character in the films. It's been a part of the genre for years. Personally, I'm not interested in that. I'm not in my own films. I have directed them, even though I haven't done any interviews. You know, a lot of footage I haven't shot, I wasn't there. But actually, they are directed, and I think that's a big part of it, is a lot of them love to be the central character in their own films. That's fine, that's a different way of working. I'm not a fan of that, so I don't want my voice in the film. I want the person speaking to be speaking about whatever they're talking about. So I think that, that's what I would say, is creating a space, and then don't bully people, don't push them, but, but listen and let them go where they want to go. 
Um, yeah. from, from my point of view, um, on this journey, starting with Asif and then beyond, you know, we've done Q and A's and we did some press, which is all like not natural to me. It's not. This isn't what I do. I've got a whole other career, and um, and then also I've I've been the side of watching artists be interviewed for various TV things or interviews, and I think it's it, it, what I've learned along this route and what I felt when Asif was interviewing is it was completely um, it's very common for someone to start asking you questions or go into your life without them realising their judgement and their assumptions mm. and their that they don't even know I, I'm convinced they don't even know they're giving off a, a maybe it's ego sometimes where people want to present what they know you get it a lot when you talk to journalists or when you, when you see I think there's a technique to encouraging someone to talk and I think if you're going to a specific subject that's important to them there's going to be a lot for them to say and I think it's about allowing it to happen and I always felt I've, I've asked, asked really great questions but I think the most important thing that he just said there to me was it would you could you could feel him at the end going well we didn't cover any of the stuff I want to cover but that was great I like really interesting I think that's a really important part because some people think, well, no, no, that's the, I didn't want any of that, and you've just given me that. But I think that opens up a whole perspective that that person couldn't have known about because they weren't there. Hmm. If I'm making sense, so I think I think you know it's it's incredible along the way. You know, radio interview stuff. Do you remember the one in New York where you've got a guy telling me Amy's not a jazz artist? You know, he's like, it was, I was thinking, are you? Did, have we met up for you to tell me what you think <laughs> or are you asking me what I you know like it was it was strange I, I remember, and this is quite a successful uh, I'd, I'd imagine quite a successful yeah, you know yeah. like a um, journalist um, so I think that's something I'd say from my point of view and then seeing great artists over time be interviewed it's hard for an artist to open up by themselves they get they have to have a million interviews they end up getting asked the same questions the rapport of those people that just tune in to them as a person and don't go for the obvious standard sort of um, questions. And I think if you've that's that's a really important detail. No, number one, I suppose to answer your question as well, I'm really interested in people, which is why I, I focus on characters and because I'm I'm interested in people. I'm interested in why people do what they do and how their brains work. So, the, Senna and Amy were all about. I never met them, so you're trying to understand a person you've never met. And all you can do is talk to the people around them or look at the footage and study them and try to understand the psychology of what's going on in that shot. I, I find it really interesting. It is a bit like being an investigative kind of person. And, and Amy particularly felt like an investigation. And so there's that side of it. So if you're genuinely interested in people, then hopefully you spend time, you find it interesting to talk to people and understand each person. And a lot of my job is to talk to Nick or talk to these people. And I spoke to about 100, 110, 20 people on, on Amy. And a lot of it is about being in that room, talking to them to try to understand their point of view. Whether you agree with it or not, you've got to let them feel comfortable and let them t say their point of view. And then you walk away going, that is the absolute opposite of the person I spoke to yesterday. And yesterday, I totally understand their point of view. I'm really confused now. You know? And that's a big part of the process. Do not be afraid of confusion. Do not be afraid of, oh, no, I don't know what the hell we're doing. You know, because I believed that person yesterday. And now this person said they were not even there. You know, they're the biggest liar ever. You know, you're right. 
Okay, this is interesting. That's good. That tension, creative tension, I would think is good. The more questions, the more tension, the more, you know, James Marsh, you know, brilliant director who did um, uh, Man on Wire and made lots of movies. I remember talking to him and I talked to Kevin McDonald before I did Senna because I'd never made a doc. So I talked to good filmmakers and said, what do you do? And James gave me some really good advice. He said, don't just spend time talking to people saying how great Senna was. Find the people who hated him. You know, you've got to get the extremes. You've got to get the range. So whatever you're making a film about, find the people who are like really in love with that person, people who really couldn't stand them. And why not? What's the dark side of a character? And what's the negative bit? And that's just as important as why they're all great. Films about great people are all great and lovely and boring. You know, I'm kind of interested in people who are kind of troubled. And why are they troubled? And what led to that? And why, why are they self-destructive? What happened? I, the anti-heroes are always more interesting to me. Do you know what, was it you as a filmmaker and spending time around you, um, and I get this from both the films, I can obviously look at Senna more objectively, but um, I don't think they're at all judgmental, which I was really surprised about when I saw the film, and I've never felt at any point talked at it along the way. Like, I, I, like, like there's been a judgment, even on someone that I've got a huge judgment on, and I think that's a really, I mean, it's quite interesting. There's lots of opinions, lots of big things that happen in both those films. But I think along the way you realise, no one actually goes, I feel like I, feel like I know Asif's view on, on, on everyone and, and what happened. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's, well, I think that's, that's interesting because I, I think there is a point of view in the film, but it has to be subtle enough for the audience to make their own choices and their own it's decisions. certainly not overpowered. And different people. And I think you, you have a bit more freedom in, in the, the process that we work in documentaries than you do in drama. When you're trying to raise m lots of money and you write a screenplay, you have all these development meetings and production meetings where people go, what, what are you trying to say here? What does this mean? I'm not getting that. And that can kill it. That can kill your film every time because you're having to over-explain for some idiot who's not very good at reading, who's read 15 other scripts back quickly, and they just skimmed through it before you had your meeting, and then like, I didn't get that. And you're going, well, did you actually read it? You know, are you talking about the old draft? And I remember finding that really frustrating with drama and having to be really on the nose, and then going to, to doing films about real people and real incidences, that you can be more subtle, because real life is really complex. And it isn't black and white, you know, everyone's got shades and, and that, that's what I right now find more interesting about most docs that I watch compared to most dramas is that there's more complexity and humanity in the documentaries than a lot of the movies that I'm watching. And mm. I think that's because people are complicated and everyone in their own head thinks they're doing the right thing. And it was, it was interesting because Nick, you know, who... When, Nick, when I first talked to Nick, Nick was the person I thought, okay, I trust this guy, so I'm going to ask his opinion about certain people. And there were a few people I asked Nick, I said, what do you think of this person? And I remember Nick saying, never heard of him, no good. And there was this moment when I go, well, I don't know, I think he was around, I think he was a good mate of Amy's. And Nick had never met this guy. No, one of the things I learned, which was a total red part, was um, that Amy had this incredible ability, I've literally learned this through the film, um, to have quite uh, personable, deep, whatever the word is, relationships with people, where someone else that she's got a real relationship with, would, the two worlds wouldn't even know about each other. And some she, people, she some, had people I, in I, I don't know, I don't know what that's about, but I literally there were times where, and then I talked to Juliet, who was Amy's close friend since childhood, and I'd be like, "Asif's asked me about this guy. Like, he's adamant he was around." Like, what do you mean? 
course he was around. He's always been around. And you're like, what the? I, I've never heard his name. I've never seen his face. And uh, and then over time, you realise there were there were times where Acid pointed this out as well. There were times where um, you, you may you may meet Amy at a certain, you may become friends or an associate of Amy's at a certain time and think you know about her. But actually, the people that met her at another phase would know her as someone completely different. And I think if you met Amy sort of post Back to Black, you'd probably have a completely different idea about who she was pre-Frank or maybe even before my time of knowing her when she was a teen. You know, I, I didn't know I didn't know some big things about her until I saw the film. That's I, the turning point, yeah. I think. When, when you, the filmmaker who was not there, who never met her, suddenly starts correcting people who yeah. did know her, who were there, who were close personal friends, who were there right away for a journey, and you're going, I think they, there's the, maybe the story's slightly different than what you think. <coughs> and that's, that's a really interesting point in the process, I mean, it where you've done your homework enough that you now can almost, you become a part of that story. You start telling people things that they didn't know. And I still don't know if that's Amy, or the fact it's just totally surreal to know someone a long time, and then one day there's a documentary about it. You know, like maybe someone you were close to now had a documentary made in 10 years you'd learn a bunch of stuff you adamantly thought you knew but you mm -hmm. just don't it's weird um, it's a strange scenario you know? any more questions please? yeah um, making Alien and Seven so you said you didn't, hadn't made adventures before is there anything after making these two that you've really taken from it into the fictional side of filmmaking as a director and how you approach it writing yes it's, it's an interesting question I, I would say that I 